That's improv, bitch. Improv, bitch. I mean, after all, you're nerds. Improv. Nerds. Improv. Nerds. Improv. Nerds. Hi, I'm Jimmy Corain, host of Improv Nerd. Last summer, the Detroit Improv Festival asked us to come and do a live show. We were ecstatic. Our guest was star of Key and Peel and Mad TV, Keegan Michael Key, who talked about growing up in Detroit, his philosophy in improv, and why he's not mad at me from our last interview. You are such a warm person, I gotta tell you. Because I felt the last interview we did in Chicago, yeah. we did it. <laughs> I got I, angry. You got really angry, I got angry, and I was like, "He doesn't want anything to do with me." What? Yes, Jimmy? that's how fragile I am. I'm like this. I felt like I. I felt like I. Uh, uh, I just felt a lot of shame about it. Shit, did you and, then, really? and then I emailed you and I said, "Thanks for the interview," and said it was great and it was challenging. Yeah, okay. it was a challenging interview. It was a probing interview, and I, I never at any point in time was I angry with you. Okay, I got fired up about. I probably got fired up about Hollywood and right. process and what people it was not very, expressing their art. And, yeah, you know, you know, like I get, I, I, try, I get into teacher mode, and I used to say to my students all the time, I'm "Not mad at you, just getting excited." You know, that's what I said. I had a teacher that said that to me in graduate school, and I said, "I'm going to adopt that." You know, I'm not mad; I'm just getting excited. You have to say that. Yeah. I always no. I'm just I'm very like I'm. We talked a little about, and if you get a chance, it's a great interview because you are so passionate. It's on the improv nerd. You can I. I was horrible. I didn't let Jordan talk at all. But you were so passionate about being criticized, and I just I thought it was great. But I was like, oh my god, I did something wrong. No, 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 not not at all. You you did absolutely everything right. Okay. Yeah. All right. As far as I'm concerned. Okay. Um, Okay. You grew up. You grew up in Detroit. Yes. Here, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and you were a tall, skinny. Uncoordinated kid. Yes, yes. All right. Probably got teased a lot. I got teased a lot. Do you remember, mm-hmm. like, the first time you used comedy to be accepted? I, I would say the first time I used, uh, like, acting. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, it was, I guess it could have been a comedic moment if you liked dark comedy. But I, I, uh, we were running around on the we were running around on the on the playground, and we had like those. If anybody if anybody's as old as I am, and you know, we used to have those hand sl- solo blasters that you could buy the Star Wars blasters that yeah. made the sounds. And so some kid had one of those, and he shot me, and I fell down and died. And then I, I was dead on the ground. I had my eyes closed, and I t- I was down there for probably three minutes. And so I was down there, and I turned my head and I opened my eyes. There was a bunch of eighth grade girls just standing over me, looking down. Is he okay? Is he all right? And 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 I realized that I could get attention by just committing. <laughs> just commit to the death, you know what I mean? But I um, and then and then I think like a lot of people, it's 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 the best fodder always is impersonating teachers, because that's that's your social construct and everybody understand. Everybody has a uh, there's a thing that everyone understands. There's a together. common thing. Yeah. So let's make fun of Mrs. Donaldson or Sister Angela Therese or Sister Stella. Or Sister Mercedes, I went to a Catholic school. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it was that that was that always worked in my to my advantage. But a lot of it was just energy, just mm-hmm. having a lot. They're like, you know, it was funny because in grade school, energy meant man, he's he crazy. And in high school, they're like, he's so he's so passionate. 
You know, it's, it's the difference between going to a grade school in Detroit and a high school in Royal Oak. So, you know, it was... Royal Oak. That means nothing to you. No, that means no, nothing no, to you. No, yeah. That means nothing to you. I'm a... You guys know what I'm talking about. Can I just say this to me real quick? Yeah. There's a bunch of guys sitting in the front row with Phi Kappa Theta shirts on. Yeah. And that's the fraternity I was in, in, in at University of Detroit. Okay. And the only... And, and can I tell you something? I was in a fraternity at the University of Detroit. Nary a one of my fraternity brothers ever gave me a hard time for being a theater major. And the theater majors gave me hell for being in a fraternity. <laughs> what, was that, what was that fraternity known for? Uh, our fraternity is known for two, uh, two big things. Uh, Ed McMahon was a member of our fraternity. Okay. And the, uh, the only person who was uh, the leader of the free world and banged Marilyn Monroe was also in our uh, fraternity. <laughs> so, so, there's still people going, is that Robert Kennedy? <laughs> JFK and Ed McMahon, and where do we stop? Brown University, right, gentlemen? Yep. Yeah. Brown and Lehigh, right? Okay. okay. Don't fuck with me. I still know what's going on. <laughs> no. I still remember my test I had to, test I had to take. Now, your, your parents, one's a social worker and one's a psychologist. Yeah, they're both social workers. They're both social And they both did therapy, yeah. Well, they both did therapy. So what was that like growing up? Well, the arguments, every argument in our house is very structured. You know what I mean? So give me an example. Well, I mean, this is an actual conversation I would have with my mother. Well, here's what's happening at this moment in time. I'm, I'm, I'm furious with you. And so I'm, 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 maybe I'm projecting some childish behavior right now. Just gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to walk away for a minute. Just let me walk away. Let me collect my thoughts so I won't sublimate. I don't want to sublimate. I want to make sure that we're sharing honestly in the moment. And she's like, okay, do you need to do that? I'm like, I do. I do need to do that. I am furious with you right now. So my brother was different. He just kind of cut to the chase. I don't fucking care, Mom! <laughs> I should have taken a page out of his book. You know what I mean? Um, so there, lo, lo, lots of terminology. Lots of so terminology. what happens when you go from that house to the playground or school using that terminology? Yeah, did not was not accessible on the playground. Um, um, you know, I, I think it was interesting. The school I went to, I think a, a lot of kids, their parents were like, "I want my children to have." a really good education, a Catholic education, and, and a lot of people were working class parents. And so if they're working class parents, you know, you send your kid there to get a good education, you want them to get a better education than you. But my parents had master's degrees. So I did have a hard time, I did, I had a hard time communicating with my classmates. Because that's how we were talking when I was like nine. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so these kids would be like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. You know, I'm going to punch you in the fucking mouth. That's all I know. It's like, he's not sublimate. Yeah, he was like, you know, I was just feeling sad. So, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right, exactly. So it, it was difficult. It was difficult. And, 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 and when you're biracial and you're growing up, and it was tough. You know, there were day, literally days in a week where I would identify with my mother and other days of the week where I would identify with my father. And my mom would say, you were a little boy. You would walk up to me or your brother would walk up to me and say, uh, I'm chocolate. I'm chocolate. And then run away. And then the next day walk up and say, I want to be strawberry. So it's because my mom wasn't white. Like, I never understood what white meant. No, nobody was white. In your neighborhood. Well, there were, well, there were Caucasians. Right. But your skin's not white, Jimmy. Like, no one, no one, no one was, I didn't know any albinos. <laughs> 
so, so strawberry, you know, or you know, or like, you know, you know, or like elves from Lord of the Rings. I didn't know. So everything. So when I said strawberry, I meant my mother is my mother is ruddy complected. So I meant she looked like strawberry to me. Who so, did you identify with more, the white culture or the black culture? The white, because my black father was from Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> so, so, so technically, if he so, took a so, test, he could pass. So my dad was actually blacker than my mom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, uh, my father uh, grew up in Salt Lake City and uh, with the other 12 black people. And he, and, and, and so uh, that was not, you know. Now, my father, there were lots of things about African-American culture that he embraced, but, but lots of other things that, that he didn't. You know, he, um, my aunts, my aunts to this day, they still say, you know, they, but my uncle Tony, he uh, lives in Salt Lake City too, and he's kind of kind of a cowboy, he's like this big, tall. He's like six seven and one hundred and ninety pounds. He's, if you turn sideways, you can't see him. It's like a fish, you know. Right. And um, and he and my dad, they, I don't know what it was. I would say, you'd say, well, they always dated white women. Well, who else was there to date? It was Salt Lake City, you know. My grandparents left Memphis, Tennessee, when he was ten, and they moved to Salt Lake, and uh, uh, and my grandfather. <laughs> My grandfather said, you know what I think is a good idea? Let's move to a dry state where there are no black people, and I'll work for my black father in a speakeasy. So that's what my grandfather did. He worked in a, My grandmother worked in a speakeasy. And I, did I read something that your dad didn't really like black culture? Is that a fair... Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a... I, he, he, loved, he loved Detroit because he did love Motown. He uh-huh. loved Motown music. And, and whenever we went back to Salt Lake, my mom would take us to the movies on the day that my grandmother made Chitlins. Because my dad had to have chitlins. And, and if, if there are black people here, you understand it does not smell good in the kitchen when you're making chitlins. Because chitlins, white people, is pretty much pig intestine in which you have to clean the shit out of it. That's what it is. You clean all the feces out of the, the pig intestines and then boil them down and then you cook them. And, what, and my dad loved those. So that is, that is a definitely a black culture thing. But um, I couldn't tell you psycholo- with the psychological underpinnings of why that wasn't his deal. But, um, but, but, but for the most part, I'd say, yeah, yeah. You know, when I was researching, and you're also adopted, and yes. I'm thinking, how did you find your place as a kid? Because you're not, you, are you black, are you white? You're dealing with the biracial thing. You're not adopted, you're adopted, so you're dealing with that. How did you, how did you, uh, how did you find yourself in those years? You know, my mom, my mother is a, uh, uh, my mother is a very extraordinary woman. And, um, and you know I mean it because she's not here. So I'm saying because I'm I'm I really mean it. Um, she just kept on tirelessly finding what is he like? What is he like? What makes him comfortable? Do you want to do, do, you want to do calligraphy? No, because that's not working. Do you want to do soccer? I guess that's not working. Whatever it was. And then it wasn't until high school when my parents got divorced, our therapist, our family therapist said, um, this young man seems to want to get stuff out of him, and perhaps he's a performer. I'm a very gregarious person. I'm a real, I'm a very, I'm an extrovert. I get my energy from other people. I, I, what, what is happening right now, if I could live my life like this all of the time, I, if I could never be alone, I'd be perfectly happy. And, and uh, he, he suggest, knew that high school I was going to, and he said, the drama teacher at the high school Keegan is going to is a very good friend of mine. And my mother kept on her and kept on her and called her and said, whatever you do, if you see my son in the hallway, just tap him on the shoulder and say, are you going to try it for the play or are you going to come and help us with the lights or whatever? And, and, and that's, so it wasn't, uh, let's, I, I, I'm, try, I'm trying so hard not to bring it down. Okay. But I was a pretty miserable kid until about 14. <laughs> is that true? Oh, fucking horrible life until I was 14 years old. Yeah, yeah. 
which makes you a good comic. <laughs> um, everything's horrible till you're 14. Uh, well, because I think you tap into your pain more on stage, don't you? Yeah, like, and a lot of that is because as I was going, like Richard Pryor uh-huh. is my hero, is my hero because he was he was not a stand-up comedian. He was a, an ad hoc actor who happened to stand on stage by himself. He was brilliant, yeah. and 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 because he because he he just opened up and said, "Here it is." And I've watched so much of his stuff, and I went, "I can do that. I got I, I got that inside me. I can do that." You know, and so that that I try to use that as much as much as I can. And with that said, it's always a challenge. At the same time, it's always a challenge for me to play low status characters, because I, I don't want to relinquish control, but I want to relinquish control. Because that's the art, is, is how do you play opposite type? When you find out what your type is deep down, in your animus, uh, for you Jungians out there, in your animus, <laughs> th- then, then, you're, then, then you fi- have to figure out, am I brave enough to play against that type? Well, play, play against what my actual nature is. And uh, so that did not answer your question at all. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what the question I was? I don't, Jimmy. Okay. <laughs> I don't. It's all you, it's improv. It's all about listening. It's about yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so then you you go to Penn State. You get an MFA. Yeah. How do you come back into to, to Detroit and then get involved in improv? I came home uh, to uh, make a film, uh, an independent film called "Get the Hell Out of Hamtown." Yeah. 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 Which was about um, about Hamtramck, and um, a few Hamtramck. It's a town. Hamtramck. Hamtramck is a, is an enclave right. here in uh, in Detroit. It's it's its own community, it has its own police department, fire department, mayor. It's its own city, but it's surrounded on by four sides by Detroit. And um, we used to call it Pole Town when we were kids, because when I, when I was a kid, most of the people that lived there were either Polish or of Polish descent, mm-hmm. and um, very much like you know certain neighborhoods in Chicago, and. We we um, we started to make this movie at the Planet Ant Coffee House, and uh, we shut down the coffee house to make the movie. And a couple of people in the cast, one of them was Joshua Funk, who later who, directs, who directed the Second, at the Second City. City in Chicago. He was a, a stalwart at the Second City here in Detroit, and I took his place at the Second City here in Detroit. I met him and Larry Joe Campbell, who was on, and, according to Jim. according to Jim, yeah, who was from uh, was born in Pontiac and grew up in Cadillac, okay. Michigan, and is my best friend. And uh, uh, and I met them, and they said you should you should audition for Second City, which I took great umbrage at, because I had a master's degree in fine arts and acting, and I was a dramatic, classically trained actor. How dare you say? I'm not trying to be funny. I could see you before you get into improv being very a very serious. Act. Oh yeah, yeah no, taking I, yourself way uh, too seriously. Fuck that! I wasn't going. I was going to move to Seattle and just be poor and do Shakespeare. You know, <laughs> and that's that was what it was going to be. And my friend asked me to come home and do the movie, so I did the movie. And you had no intention of coming. No back. intention of of, okay. of, of, of uh, I did it for my friend. I did okay. it for my friend. And then as soon as I was done with the movie, I didn't know what was next. But it wasn't going to be the Planet Ant Theater, and that's exactly what it ended up being. Because when Hal Soper, who owned the Planet Ant coffee house, he said, I don't, I don't want this to be a coffee house anymore, I want this to be a theater space. And we tore out the bar, we tore out the tables, right, there's my buddy Lynch, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And we tore out everything, and we, we started building risers, and every night, I mean, three, four o'clock in the morning, we're nailing nails into the, 
into the uh, platforms. And one morning I said to Hal, I said, I'm so sorry we didn't stop until 4 o'clock in the morning. And he looked at me and he said, he said, I sleep like a baby. It's like music to my ears to feel this being built beneath me. And and because he lives upstairs, his home is up above the theater. And and we turned it into a theater. And while that and then after that started happening, I was working around town and doing workshops at the Millennium Theater in Southfield. I was teaching and and then um, and then I got a call to go and audition for the Second City. And that was ninety seven. And you told me something backstage which I never knew. In like four years time you did like twelve shows. Yeah, twelve or thirteen 12 shows. Twelve original here. reviews, Second City style reviews. Uh, I would say we probably did ten or eleven original reviews and then we did like a best of show for our fifth year and we did another kind of uh, that was the thing that we did here at the Second City. They didn't trust us in Chicago. So every show was usually about eighty percent archive material and 20% original material. So they would grab scenes from Chicago and like, no, 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 you have to do these Chicago scenes because you guys aren't ready yet. You're not ready yet. You, you know, and, and, and meanwhile, we had a stockade of scenes that we were, we, were, we were raring to go with. And for people that don't know the process, I mean, to do that many shows in a short period of time. It's crazy. It's crazy. Too. I mean, in, sec in second, the second city in Chicago, you do like one show a year or one and a half shows a year. And they bitch, you know, like that's a... Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, they go. They go. Come on, we're not. We're not ready to be done with this show yet, guys. And, and, and the, the 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 producers have to wrest the show away from them. And here we did a show every three months, every three months, because as you guys know, not a huge tourist base in Detroit. Um, so we we were getting repeat customers. So we had to have a new show every three months. And so it was a really good training ground. Yeah. Um, and then. We then you go, you come to you, how do you end up in Chicago? On my thirtieth birthday, which I had at the Seven Brothers Bar in Hamtramck, Michigan, um, which, is, which is my bar, which is which I go I come to every time I come. It's a requisite. Um, uh, Josh Funk came through the front door my thirtieth birthday party after most of the people had left, and he said, "They want you to come to Chicago. Will you come to Chicago and be on the ETC?" And uh, the ETC, there's two stages in Chicago. There's the main stage and there's the ETC. So they wanted me to come to the ETC stage, and uh, and I and I and I said yeah, and 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 they said well would you tour first? And I said no, no, I'm 30, I'm 30, I'm not touring. You know, if I was 25, I'll, I'll, I'd be more than happy to go out the door. I've got this beautiful bride. I like spending time with her. I don't want to be in Montana half the year. You know what I mean? So so I waited a couple months, and then they said. David, this guy David, you remember David Pompey? Yeah. He was moving to the main stage, and they said, we want you to take David's place. So I came to take his place at the ETC. You know, it's interesting. You, did you always have this kind of confidence at 30? Oh, hell no. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to answer you something, and if this is too personal, you do not have to answer it. I'm going to answer it anyway. Okay, Troy, This is my home. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for having me here. Um, do you think... Uh, because you're, you're born again Christian, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you think how much of your faith helps with your confidence? Uh, I, I, uh, a lot, because I, I, I'm a firm believer. Um, I, I'm a firm. There's many manifestations of, of, of God in the Christian tradition, and one of those manifestations is a is a, a term that we use for God. It's it's, it's called Jehovah Jireh. And Jehovah Jireh in Hebrew means the one who looks ahead and provides for me. And I'm a firm believer in that particular incarnation of, of God, of Yahweh, which means that I can do what feeds me 
because he's going to take care of me. So if there's something I don't want to do, I should feel comp- I should have faith enough to say no to that thing. Because whatever is going to happen, the path that needs to open itself will open itself. And, and, and so that's one incarnation of Yahweh is that incarnation that, that, is, uh, that, that really resonates with me. And so in that regard, there's a lot of confidence in, in that he has me in his hand. So why not do, if I do what fulfills me, my, my belief is that it will also fulfill others. So as opposed to doing every single job that comes down the pipe. Because you, because know? we had a conversation years ago, and you did turn stuff down, didn't you? I can't. I'm trying to think. I can't when you were out in L.A. or something, I thought there was something that there are some boundaries you have about stuff you. I can't remember. I can't remember what it. I, I, I mean, right now I can't think of what it was. Okay. But I can't think of what it was. Yeah. But all right. So then, from Second City in Chicago, you end up on Mad TV. Yeah. How do, how did that happen? The the executive producer of Mad TV was a Second City alum. He actually, his name is Dick Plasucci. He's from Wheaton, Illinois, uh-huh. and he was a bassist for a garage band called The Ravens, and the lead singer of that band was John Belushi. And uh, he, he and John were very good friends, and John told him, you should come, John and Jim told him, you should come to the Second City, you should audition for the Second City. It's like 1971, 72. And so he ended up, ultimately, he wrote for Second SCTV, mm-hmm. and he went on to run the, the, um, the, the Mad TV. He was the showrunner for Mad TV. And um, so they used to pluck talent from Chicago all the time. And so there was an audition where they were, I don't know how I got the audition, but because they were, there was like a, a whole bunch of women that were leaving the cast at Mad TV. So I'm like, why did I get the job? I don't have a vagina. Why did I get the job? But, uh, but, any, but, 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 they, they, but then I found out later that they, I had put myself on tape for Mad TV three years before that. And apparently they had been keeping an eye on me, all those, a tab on me for all those years. They thought, oh, this is the time. This is the time. Let's see if we can have him come up. And so I auditioned, and they and they gave me a role. And then, one of your most popular characters is Coach Hines. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did that character get into the show? Now, if you look at Man TV, it's all about celebrity bashing, and it's all about mm-hmm. um, uh, popular culture. How, how did that? How did it end up on the show? Well, the the other you know the other big tradition on Mad TV was character work because a lot of the people that wrote and performed at Mad TV were groundlings, and the groundlings is kind of the second city of Los Angeles. Uh, Will Ferrell is a groundling, Lisa Kudrow is a groundling, uh, Janine Garofalo is a groundling, Cheryl Hines is a groundling, you know, and th- what they do is character work. That's what they do, and so um, the character started at it started at Second City in Chicago, but it had been a character that had been building since Detroit. He's an amalgam. He's an amalgam of our dean of students and our football coach at my high school, our basketball coach at my high school. That's where the mustache comes from. Um, uh, the dean of students is why he has his tie tucked into. He always had his tie tucked into his pants, so, so, so that the tie wouldn't buckle. He, you know, like this, and he had his tie, and he'd undo his jacket. And his tie, like, what are you doing? Don't tuck your tie. And, and and the eyes were our the neighbors two doors down from us. Their father was a bigot <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and he's grown he's evolved a lot as a man yeah. he's evolved a lot but, uh, but that he really didn't want us playing with his kids and so he would try to find an excuse to not have me and my brother play with his kids and, and so we always had these kind of like <laughs> so those three guys kind of smashed together those three guys smashed together made Coach Hines and then the whole pencil in the neck thing 
was from college because I had my artistic director in college, uh, David Regal, who's a you know a, a legend here in Detroit uh, as an actor. He's a masterful actor, and he used to say, "If anybody comes backstage who is not welcome backstage, if I see him and if I don't know him, I'm going to stab them in the neck with a pencil." <laughs> Am I right, Joints? And Mark was our technical director. He was the Ed McMahon to David's Johnny Carson. <laughs> Am I right, Joints? You got it. You got to do. You got to do. You know. So he, so th- those people kind of smashed together. M- birthed Coach Hines. Those four people mixed together were the Zeus, and when that head opened up, the Athena that came out was Coach Hines. Now, I detected in some of the later episodes that you actually started to get a little Chicago accent. Oh, yeah. He, got, okay. he turned very Matt Foley. Yeah. He got super Matt yeah. Foley. Yeah, yeah. But there was also a little addition there, a little... You oh, certainly little, some you, Chicago yeah, dialect, yeah, like yeah. Southside, yeah. Beverly, 95th Avenue, Sax. Yeah. yeah. Sax. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how do you go about developing characters like, say, Luther on uh, uh, on Key Peel? Well, for me, uh, I, I'm I'm kind of a um, uh, I'm a hybrid guy. I'm not like an Olivier guy. Olivier was always outside in, mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm sometimes outside, sometimes inside. So for me, um, trying to find a gate is an interesting thing to me. So, uh, and and the way that I would usually do that. Would, uh, there was a great exercise we used to call the ball exercise in graduate school that I loved where we would pretend that there was a ball on the wall and you'd kind of be in a neutral, a neutral spine and you'd find a ball on the wall and you'd watch the ball go down the wall to your feet and you let the ball roll up your body without falling off your body. So you do this kind of undulation with your body, throw the ball back to the wall and we would do that like four times. And since people move at different speeds, the ball would come and our teacher would say, now let the ball roll up your body and then she'd say, stop. So if you stop here, she said, now locomote through the space in this body and you move through the space in this body. And she let us move through the space in the body for like a minute. And it would inform me, you know, it does my, are my shoulders here? What does that make me? How old is this character? Am I an older man? Am I a younger man with a lot of worries? my life and all of a sudden you start to have an inner mind you start to ask questions about this posture or you start to ask questions about this posture or this posture and you start to say to yourself what is it the the, the kinesthetic movement in the body informs you mentally you start having an inner monologue about where am I from what do I worry about who do I love what do I fear and and I would start working with characters that way very often is that why we see a lot of physicality in your characters? Yeah, because I'm a, when I was in, in my training in school, a lot of what we did was physical. And, and, and I find oftentimes in Key and Peele very much that physical scenes seem to be the scenes, the scenes that are very accessible to someone who's 12 and someone who's also 72. Neither of those people are in our demographic. But, but <laughs> since our demographic is 24-year-old white males who smoke weed, that's our right. demographic. Advertisers really come at that. You don't have to worry. Every, every commercial on our show right. is for video games. Right. You know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> but, but, the, but the work to me still informs, the, the, the physical work informs the internal work. Jordan's the other way around. He's very cerebral. And very, he loves to watch behavior, subtle behavior. That's his thing, is, like, is watching how subtle behavior informs. So he goes out. He'll discover a physical life on the day, the day that we're shooting. The moment we're shooting is when he discovers physical life. And I've usually been thinking about or exploring physical life maybe a day prior. Well, that's why I've always loved your work is because in, in, you know, in Chicago, you certainly 
you got a, a Jeff Award, which is like our Tony in Chicago. Yeah, right, right. Uh, you can bring it. Uh, it, it uh, it's a wonderful award. And, but you always came from an acting background. And you, when you approached it, you weren't just an improviser there coming up with witty stuff. And when we were talking backstage, you said that's kind of unique to Detroit. Yeah, I think it's separate. Yeah, I believe that that separates Detroit improvisers, for the most part, from Chicago improvisers. Not all the time. There's, there, are, there, are, there are Chicago improvisers that I can cite right now who were actors and then became <sighs> improvisers. But the first wave of improvisers in Detroit were actors because they were the ones that were drawn to improvisation in Second City. So very, mo- a lot of us graduated from University of Detroit or Wayne State or, Mac- or Macomb Community College. Or, you know, I, when I think of the people who were on the stage, they were actors. And there is a different quality to the improvisation. There is a verve and uh, a, a bit of a ferocity and, uh, and a kinetic uh, sensibility about the way we do the work. And, and very often in Chicago, I think, there's a, a, an amazing uh, like a mental adroitness because in the, you, 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 your only training is listening, whereas, whereas that, uh, that acting training combined with the listening is a new animal. And, and, and that animal was, was, was sired here in Detroit. You know? Is it fair to say, because I've worked with actors as a teacher, and I've always loved working with them because they don't care. Their, their mind isn't wired for the laugh. The improviser is listening for the laugh. Yeah. The actor's like, I'm going to fucking play this moment. Do you find that true? Yes, I do. I do. The, 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 very often when I'm improvising, uh, it'll, it'll flip. But more often than not, it's playing the moment and being surprised by a laugh. Um, as opposed to riding laugh. Now, I, I, from my acting training, I know to ride a laugh and when to start speaking again, which is very handy with table reads. You, you know what I mean? like Explain to people who don't know riding the laugh. Um, you know, what, 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 you're, what you're taught to do in acting school is that when the laugh crescendos, it's just like a play. You have an inciting action, and then there's a climax, and there's a denouement. So you, you come up to the climax of the laugh, and right in the middle of the denouement, is when you start your line. So as they're coming down off the laughter, you come in with your line because they're they're dis- they're engaging and engaging, and as you can start as they're disengaging. You don't have to start after they've completely disengaged. You can, and sometimes in the moment, it's the right time to do that. You you know who was good at that? Uh, 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 M- Michael J. Fox, mm-hmm. Alex P. Keaton. From family uh, ties. Family ties. <laughs> would wait for an audience, a, a, you know, a sitcom audience. He would wait for them to completely disengage. And then the line. And then they'd erupt again. You know what I mean? Where Michael Gross and Meredith Baxter Burney, actors, formerly right. trained actors. And you write it, and now Daniel Malt and I come in and disengage. <laughs> you know, so that, that fluid sensibility. You could see it in their work. And, and even though he was an actor, you could see him just writhe. The bigger the laugh, the more you can allow them to disengage because they'll be more they'll be more apt to come to you later. If the laugh's a titter or the laugh is if, if you've got guffaws and they're good, let it come in the middle of the denouement. So and, and but and usually at the beginning of a set, if you get a big laugh, you're not always ready for it, and it's that's when you forget the rule. So it goes, Rah! Oh shit, I got a laugh. Right. Line, you know what I mean? Yeah, and the line comes in there. The other thing that I think is interesting in your work that I really appreciate, and, and as a teacher, I'm seeing now more than ever, 
improvising students are afraid to be angry. And if you look at Luther, you look at Coach Hines, you look at, if you just look at the, the, your first season of Key and Peele, you run through all sorts of emotions. Mm-hmm. Where is anger, where's its place in improvisation? It's place in improvisation, it, 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 it should appear or should be generated based on the moment. That's always my feeling. So anger is a viable choice if it makes sense in the moment. There are moments, I think, and you don't want to be academic while you're performing, but there are moments where you don't want to... If a wife is asking a simple question, you don't want to just scream and start throwing things. It's like, well, okay, it's just your wife. You know, like, let, let's see if this is a nice, slower two-person scene, or maybe it's a domestic scene. But, but other, time, other times... Uh, it's okay uh, to take the iron and you know burn the person's face, you know, or whatever. It depends on, and, and sometimes it just kind of. Sometimes it comes out of the ether. Sometimes you're going, I'm feeling dark about this scene, and you just want to be dark, and you, but you have to listen to the partner. I mean, I do, I'll do that. I feel a certain way, but then I got to stop and say, Where's Jimmy coming from? You know, so I'm not going to burn you with an iron when we improvise in a couple minutes. But but uh, but I might. Okay. If if I see the glint in your eye, right? You know what I mean. But I appreciate that because I really believe improvisers get in their head. Anger means argument, so I'm going to avoid it. And if we're here to show life, we have to use all all the emotions. Spolin Spolin said. This is Violas Violas Spolin who wrote the improvisation for the the Bible for improv. Right. And Violas Spolin always said, "Remember, conflict isn't argument." Conflict is when there is a problem that both of us are trying to solve. And part of the conflict could be that we're both trying to solve the problem in a different way. There's a point of focus that we're both trying to achieve something. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's not, that, it's not that you don't spend the whole scene going, your way's wrong, your way's wrong, your way's wrong, your way's wrong. It's you're trying to actively maybe circumvent their way of doing it. So as a, if you actively try to circumvent their way of doing it as opposed to saying your way is wrong, the scene lives. You know what I mean? I'm like, I forgot it, got it, really? The, the, the greatest example, Spolin gives the best example. She says, play a scene with your students where you have a husband and a wife and the husband is coming home because he forgot his briefcase and the wife is expecting her lover. So the husband comes home and he goes, hey, sweetie, I forgot my suitcase, or my, my briefcase. And she goes, oh, okay, it's right over here. Here, here, here it is. And, and he goes, you know what? You look so fantastic today in the morning light. Why don't we get down to business? Why don't we, why don't we have a little afternoon delight? And she's like, oh, guys. Ah, that's the conflict. You see what I'm saying? They're not arguing. The worst thing the actress can do in that moment is go, is go, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. Well, then he knows something's afoot. You, you know what I'm saying? But if she goes... <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I... You know. So then, you know, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, I didn't... I was not aware that that, that was happening right now. <laughs> probably shouldn't, probably shouldn't. You know what I mean? So she's, the, she's, the, she's doing an acting thing. She's using tactics. She's using tactics to get what she wants. Which is? Which is to make him evacuate the house so she can, her lover can come in. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's the conflict. The conflict is the scene. Conflict isn't always argument. 
<laughs> I think we're going to improvise. Are we going to let us? Discover it myself. Yes, yeah. Okay, Tom? Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. You're just going to let me discover things I know. myself. I know. That's what I was letting you do. Nate? <laughs> Tom, what I want to do now is I want to repel off this this butte. <laughs> and I think it requires that I need something like a carabiner, but I don't know what that is. So I was thinking I might just throw this rope around this not so sturdy twig yeah. and then just let myself down the side of the butte. You don't let want me to say anything. Let me discover this. Not a very sturdy twig. It's not coming up. It's like, well, it feels like strong roots to me. Okay. That's just a single notch? It's called a clover Clover hitch. I mean, is that the is that the best kind of knot you want to do in this? I, I'm letting it's, it's all up to you. Yeah, I'm just asking if you could just let me. Okay. The okay. one knot that I know really well is the clover. Hitch. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm confident about the clover hitch. Okay. Can I just? Yeah. If, the, if that's the clover hitch, but you know, like sometimes, like I only know one song, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I just sing that one song. Right. Right. And and that, it, my career's gone nowhere. Right. Okay. <laughs> if I was open to singing more songs. Then uh, better stuff might come my way. I might be have a hit album right now. I'm just I'm, this is about me. It's not about the clover hitch or any of that. <laughs> Stay with the clover hitch. It's like happy birthday. <laughs> so are you you're suggesting right now? That perhaps there might be a better knot to use. Is that, are you suggesting that in a veiled way, talking about being able to only sing one song? So you're suggesting that maybe I could use a different thing, like a bowling, a bowling, <laughs> a bowling. Uh, I mean, I can tie a bowling. It's nowhere near as strong as my clover hitch, but I could tie a bowling. Are you suggesting that I tie a bowling, Tom? <laughs> are you suggesting that I tie a bowling? I'm saying uh, it could be like. Uh, uh, ha, ha, uh, could be like uh, uh, but, but what if you like White Christmas. It could yeah. be like White Christmas. So That's it, all could, I'm saying. it could be Happy Birthday and <laughs> White Christmas. You could have a choice. Bowling here. and Clover Hitch. You could have both, yeah. Or you could have just White Christmas. If it's Christmas. <laughs> That's, uh, it is far. It's way far. Yeah. I, uh, I have, made, I have made a decision, okay. like on my own, okay. on my own. Okay. I've made my own decision. I see that. That I'm, that I'm going to tie a bowling. Okay, great. I've just made my own mind up great. right now great. that I'm going to change the knot. 
Cool. And, and while I did it, if you wanted to sing White Christmas, if you knew it, if, if you know it, Tom, if you know it, if you don't know it, you know it happens. it's different. You know what happens when you put me on the I know. It's, it's I forget the I word. shouldn't have said it. You yeah. know what? I'm being I defensive. Yeah. I'm being okay. defensive. Okay. I shouldn't have done yeah. it. You were trying to turn it on I me. I was trying to turn it on you. And it's not fair. Because here's what it is, Tom. I do know how to tie a bowling. I'm not completely comfortable in my bowling tying. You might not know all the words right, to White right. Christmas. Wait, how dare I? Yeah. How dare I? Hey, hey. <laughs> how dare I? Hey, hey. <laughs> now I totally spaced out. I'm sorry. I don't even know the first two lyrics of White Christmas. Oh, yeah. I mean, that anger was just like, oh, it's, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, it's, uh, is it this, is it? I'm dreaming of a White Christmas. It's right there in the title. Yeah, it's right there in the title. <laughs> Disgusting enough yeah. in books. Yeah. You know what? And now Timothy. Uh, Timothy Granders. Timothy Granders. Uh, uh, Brad uh, Gray. Oh, Grayland. Yeah. Grayland. Grayland. The Cincinnati Graylands. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, have heard I of come Cincinnati. all the way to Detroit to have a kid yeah, because yes. it's cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love your city. Everything you really? I love it. Everything Thank is so, much. so cheaper. Everything's fireworks. Yeah. Prostitutes. Prostitutes. My wife and I, we have a deal. Okay. If she, when she gets pregnant, yep. Okay, I can go out and have sex with a prostitute. Okay. It's, it's, she doesn't. She doesn't want you. I don't want you. I don't. don't you don't want to. You don't want to. Disgusting. Okay. Yeah. All right. I don't want to. You know, yeah, have my sex. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Did you have sex? And there's a bump? Yeah, but ah. there's a kid in there. Yeah, yeah. Can <laughs> 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 you imagine being in there and just... You can do damage. Psychological damage. Psychological damage. A lot of these kids that they say are crack babies, they're not crack babies. It's from having sex while pregnant. Yes, it is. Yes, it is crack babies. Yes, it is from Cincinnati. Yes. And what if it's you know you have a son, oh yeah, and you're you're having sex with your wife and it's a son and you know what I'm saying? If you, yes. if you were, if you were gifted, yeah, you, you yeah you could touch your son, yes, and you would like, very inappropriate, very inappropriate way, and then he grows up with with latent homoerotic yes. tendencies that yeah. may have not been there had right. you not had and sex. And you're starting to think maybe you're gay too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Rolling? <laughs> I, do, I do, when I smoke, I do roll my own cigarettes. Right, right now, I'm unfurling a dollar bill. Oh, okay. <laughs> person down and cutting right. their hair off and ridiculing them for their life choices. Right. In the moment, that's okay. Right. As long as you regret it later. Yeah. You know, as long as you regret it later. Like, I'll tell you something. When I first met my wife, yeah. okay, we got married, I had a fucking BB gun. We got it as a wedding gift. A BB gun? Yeah, my uncle gave it to me. As a wedding gift? Yeah, yeah. That's what, is your uncle a big fan of Christmas Story? Or uh... Yeah, he loves Christmas Story. He just he loves Kevin. You know, and he looks chilly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. So, uh, I would get up in the morning and I would just, I would just, I would shoot babies right at her ass. You know. <laughs> How did she feel about that? She hated. It. She hated. It. She hated. It. And still let you get her pregnant. Yeah. But we went to couples therapy, and that's how I felt I regretted it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And she totally forgave me. Did she really? Yeah. God, I should go to couples. Well, what about the prostitute? Oh, no, she said that was okay. Oh, no, that's all right. You got that all worked out. We okay. talked about it in, in couples therapy, yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. That's terrific. Um, have you ever been with a prostitute? With a prostitute? Yeah. I have not. I have been with a woman who has sex for money. But I've never been difference? a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a difference. Isn't, isn't there a difference between a sex worker and a prostitute? Is there not a difference between those two? Well, I, I don't go in there and ask them if there's a difference. I give them money. Well, oh, I always say, are you a sex worker? And if she says yes, we go to town. But if I say, are you a prostitute? And she says yes, you dirty whore. And then I leave. <laughs> but maybe I'm... Oh, God, I think that there's not much of a demarcation there. No. <laughs> I think it's the same thing. Boy, Brad, you have... Oh, well, I've been, I've been having sex with prostitutes. It's okay. All right. Brad, I... I mean, it's like I've... Uh, it's like I'm betraying my marriage, you know what I mean? Like, if it's a sex worker, then they're just, they're just working. <laughs> You're helping you, <laughs> There's one thing we need here in Detroit. It's help with our economy. <laughs> oh. I, tell, I tell you what, though. I well, tell you what, man. <laughs> Last week, my nephew here come by, right? Yeah. <laughs> he said, my mama had sent me over here to you, Uncle Jasper, you gonna tell me about the facts of life. Not so I said I'm gonna tell him right now. I said, wait till you meet my white friend, Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's you. That's yeah, you. Gilbert, yeah. That's mm-hmm. my boy Gilbert yeah. right there. I said, I'm going to tell you as much as I can tell you. Mm-hmm. But when you meet Gilbert, boy, he going to blow your damn mind. <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert has been around. I mean, you've been. I've been around, yeah. This boy, Gilbert, you've been. Like, you, you tell, now, correct me if I'm wrong. You've been to Muskegon. Muskegon, uh-huh. You've been to Leland. I've been to Leland. <laughs> you've been to Gaylord. I <laughs> did have a P.O. box there, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You've been, you've been to Ishpeming. Ishpeming, vacation there every yeah. year. You worked at the Grand Hotel on Mackinac. Oh, I did. I was uh, the head bellman. That's right. You were the uh, head bellman, uh, which is crazy because you ain't Jamaican nor Asian black. No, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you lived in Taylor for a little bit. I lived in Taylor there. That's when I had the Subway franchise. That's what you lived in. That was a popular. That was a that popular, popular. It was popular. That was a popular Subway yeah, franchise. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you also a whole lot of the uh, teriyaki chicken. Yeah, that yeah. was a good I, sandwich. A good sandwich. You like that then. I love you that sandwich. Love it, there was that yeah. one time. Yeah, I, remember, I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm I know what you're talking about. I came in there too much. You came in there. You had it. Yeah. You were you were screwed up then. I was. You were on something. You were on something. It was best friend Fetterman's. Oh, I know. <laughs> So it was crazy, man. It was crazy. I could have been in a Vaseline commercial. Yeah. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember when, when I did it, like, it was like two months in a row. It was a yeah, two months in a row. Yeah. <laughs> I came up in there and got the same sandwich three times a day, every damn day for three months. I thought you was on the Jared diet. That's what I thought. I mean, you didn't mean that, Jared. I was like, why do I need to be on the Jared diet? I'm going to turn into nothing. I know. <laughs> I'm going to blow away with the wind. Yeah. Crazy. 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 But when you're on a, when you on that, I, I don't even act like leave him alone. Let <laughs> him just be. You know? Thank you so much for letting yeah. me be. Cause other people are nagging. I get phone calls, you know, Sherry calls you and she says, hey, we know Sherry. that stuff. And I say, hey, man, <laughs> you're all alone. He's going to work it out. He's going to work it I'm out. I'm going to work it out. Yeah. Okay, so I stab two of your employees. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to thank you. I want to thank you because those were the two worst employees, and I wanted to fire the asses years ago. Well, that's terrific. See, it worked out for yeah, everybody. That's why you cover my ass. That's right, man. The more I do methamphetamine, the more I cover your ass. Yeah. Remember when you was going to your car that one night? Oh, yeah. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And you walked over to your car, that dude tried to carjack you, and I ate his face. Yeah. Because you can't keep a thought in your head. You're I always can't. digressing. That's what I like. Boom, boom, boom. Let's lie down. Yeah, like pinball. You made me laugh. I don't care if you're on drugs or not. You always made me laugh. You always made me laugh. You have always given me sage advice. When you told me that it was not a good idea for me to start a subway franchise, yeah. I said, you know what, Gilbert? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because you said not to do it. You have more life experience than I do, and that's why I thank you from the bottom of my balls <laughs> for taking in my nephew. I mean, down here in my viscerals. I get it. I get it. You don't have to. Yeah, I get it. Because when you told my nephew what to do with his life, it let me off the hooks. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. it just really, and, and I feel like he's going to make his way in this world today. Takes everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
hell's helped a lot. <laughs> told him that. I was like, that sounds like something I've never heard, but something maybe I heard a bunch of times between 1982 and 1993. <laughs> I don't know. I just get these uh, get these premonitions, and I just want to share. You know. I, know. I thank you so you much. You know, man. you take the good, you take the bad. That's the facts of life. That's true. That's yeah. true. You know. You know. The one thing that you said to him that really got me inspired for my own personal self. Yeah. Is when you told him, hey. We are moving on up. Yeah. <laughs> I told him we're moving on up to the east side. That's right. That's what I said to him. There wasn't nothing going on on the west side. Exactly. <laughs> moving on up to the east side. And where was he going? A deluxe apartment in the sky. <laughs> and he does. He lives in that apartment. Yeah, he does. Never calls. Never calls anymore. He never calls. That's no. what happened. That's the problem. I give it to you. He turned into a big shot. Then he knows something don't, about Don't call me. He crazy. Crazy. Crazy <laughs> motherfucker. He is crazy. You know what he need to do? Well, is get on some methamphetamine. <laughs> chair in North America. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get that chair up here? I uh, I, uh, I had two guys. I asked two guys to do it, and they had like a, a wheelie thing. Oh, dear. Yeah. God in heaven, that's like a quasar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I had not moved. I mean, that's the first time anyone's ever moved I just think I just ripped a, like two, <laughs> two sinews and a tendon. <laughs> I wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I swear it's got to be right in this yeah. area. Right in this area. I think it's, it might be right okay. in this area. Okay. Right in this area. Okay. I think it's right, like, it might here, be right, right, right there. Is it there? Oh, that was, you know what? That was, my that was your finger. Yeah, that was your finger. I was smelling your finger. I swear to God, it's right here. Let me just get a nostril on there. You got it? <laughs> Let me. That is uh, it. Is it? Is it? I think that's it. Yeah. You know oh, what? God. We have, oh. we have got to stop raising chinchillas. Yeah. This is this. <laughs> this is. So let's talk about the first scene. The first scene was... First scene. Uh, what was the first scene? Do you guys remember? Plateau. 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 And then what did we play? Uh, we, uh, we... The... 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 the, the Bowen. Yes. And the Christmas songs. Okay. Happy. Standards. Okay. Standards. You know what? Uh, how do how'd you think it went? I thought it went well. Okay. I thought it went well. Uh, it might have been... I, I, I might have been uh, a little... Injured. I was maybe trying to control it a little too much. Okay. Yeah, but... but um, uh, I think it. I think. Well, there was one where it's it, we, we were using. I think that's a scene where we're trying to both use 
we were trying to fuse two ideas together. Uh-huh. And once again, like after just talking about not arguing, it was good. You know, it was, right. it was like it's 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 bumping up against a thing and trying to figure out how to figure out the thing. Like I didn't. My thing was I didn't want to take the obvious thing of just agreeing, and maybe that was my thing. Like I go, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'm not going to just based on what we were just talked about before. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say, well, okay, we'll just do that. Not I wanted to like give you. I wanted my wants, but I wanted to do it a little more to find the game. That's in. yeah, and I yeah. got that. Yeah, and, th- and that's something that I think is great, Jimmy. Is 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 in that that spolen concept again is uh-huh. always wanting your wants. Like make sure to wa- make sure or actually or not only want but you can make a choice in any given scene. You can want your wants. You can want your wants passionately, or you can need your wants. Explain the three differences. So, like, want your wants, like you were saying, you were like, oh, I could, I, I still, you were still, you were peppering in and saying, okay, well, he's, you know, he's gonna, I, I'm just gonna gently use a metaphor to suggest the not. Right. Where, where I think if you, sometimes you can get in trouble if you go to the third one, if you need your wants uh-huh. so badly, then what happens is, then it could turn into argument. Right. Where it's like, you can't use a clover hitch. Right. But if you say, I can't use a clover hitch, where do I go from there? Then I just start yelling at you and say, I'm using the clover hitch, and I just go off the side of the butte, and I have to make a choice going off the side of the butte. Mm-hmm. Was there any way we could have done that scene and, and gotten a little more mileage to it? Um, Anything comes to your mind? Not immediately. You know, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's interesting with me because very often uh, I will improvise and forget the scene. Very often. I'll forget what I did. And you know, like the, I've always wanted to be more like Scott, like Scott Adsit. Oh, wonderful! Scott Adsit, one of the best, best improvisers, improvisers ever. Yeah. And he always to pour over every moment. Right. And it's very often a part of me is not present in the moment. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, all of me is present in the moment. So much that you can't I, even I, remember. I, I can't it's almost remember. like you're a blackout drunk. Yes, like I'm a blackout drunk <laughs> without the aid of any alcohol. Right. right. And, and then later on, people will say, "Oh, that bit was funny," or I'll remember something funny somebody else said. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? It's, it will happen to me very often. So it's sometimes it is difficult for me to remember the beats in the scene because mm-hmm. I'm trying so hard to just what's the next thing that can help move the scene along. Mm-hmm. Um, and if my mind is clouded with that, I'm not think I'm either in the moment or thinking what's the next thing that can help move the scene along. Okay, let's go to the second scene, yeah. which was the two dads, uh, the the, uh, the the fathers expect to be fathers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, I like that, but I was going in and out of that. The thing I love watching you is that you will make an emotional charge really quickly. Yes, yeah. And I think that, that really is, that is a gift. And I wish, more, I wish I could do it, but I wish more improvisers would bring that emotional life to it. You have a point of view about stuff, and, and if you're really listening, it really, it, 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 it's very easy to improvise along. Yeah, I learned. I, I think that was one of the first things I learned. There's like there's improvising teachers who are actors, so they teach you as an actor. And 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 for me, it was always about well, what is? Uh, uh, let's start to together. The, the ideal is together. Let's create some given circumstances, and then I will pick a point of view about how I feel about the given circumstances. So that is something that I try to do off the top of a scene very often. Um, but you'll do it also, like in this this scene. Yeah. You 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 will have a point of view, an emotional point of view of other things that have gone on inside the context of that scene. Right. 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 So right. how did you feel about that scene? That that was good. I thought it, it lost a little bit of steam at yeah. the end. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was. Um, I got. You know what? Over here, I got obsessed a little bit with not having rolling papers. Well, <laughs> and for some reason, I did not endow my character with more money. 
So I couldn't put more money into the machine to get rolling papers, and I don't know why I stopped. I just I was like, just have more money. Right. Yes. Why can't you? It's, it's, it's make believe. Have more money. Right. You've got four thousand dollars in your pocket. Just put it in there and get the rolling papers. Well, was that a, a vending machine? It was a vending machine. Because I was thinking they don't have you. You can't. There's yeah. no vending machines anymore with the, the, cigarettes. And that was the other thing. As I said, you know what? I'm just going to go with this. Okay. There are no vending machines, let alone ones that have drum tobacco and roller papers in it. But they didn't seem to be protesting, so it was like, let's just keep going. I with felt it. for me, inventing the, like, I don't know if the prostitute was too jokey. It seemed right at the top of the scene, and then the thing where uh, I was talking about the BB gun, I felt like I was like, oh, I got to be, I got No, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, you know, you're, you know, I've got to. Stay with you. You're getting laughed, so I gotta, I gotta match that. But that was, but can I tell you, those, yeah. were, those choices were titillating to me. Okay. Because it was just like, oh, let's go, oh, a prostitute, let's go with that. And, and right. pulling that around back at the end was fun. Well, that's where, that's a good example of where you made this emotional choice. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of improvisers today would make that choice of, oh, I feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you bring like so many different emotions in per scene, which I think is great. Oh. What's the third, oh, the third scene when we were the, well, the, you know what happened there? Uh -huh. I started to, I just jumped off the cliff immediately. Mm -hmm. Didn't have any idea what I was doing at all. Okay. So I jumped right off the cliff. And so when we got to the game, when we found the game of the lyrics, right. that, that you know, you, all of your sage wisdom is actually just jingles from TV shows right. from the 80s, uh, that, that was, in the moment, I was like, what the hell am I going to say now is the sage advice that you give. And the first thing that came to my mind was cheers. <laughs> it just popped in. But you know, it came full circle because you said at the beginning, you're going to tell me about the facts of life, didn't you? Uh, if I did, I didn't remember saying it. Did I, did I still yeah. say that? Yeah. Listening. Uh, <laughs> better than me. And then I, here's, here's my process, because I, as you know, I'm, I'm white. And uh, I was like, part of me was like, because you made me a white character, but I, I was kind of already in a black character. And, and, you know, in Chicago, we were told, and this is like a Bernie Solins rule, who was one of the founders of Second City, don't play kids, don't play black characters. Because that was back in the day when there were no black people. Right. Well, maybe we'll hire one. Maybe, we'll, maybe, we'll, maybe one day we'll hire one. But in the meantime... We just go with biracial yeah, ones. We'll go, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, yes. Did I, did I endow you as white? I think you did. I think You're, I did too. Oh, I did, yes, because you were, had more wisdom. How do you feel about a white guy playing a black guy? Oh, that doesn't bother me in the least. I think it's hilarious. Okay, how about a biracial guy playing a white guy? I don't like it at all. I don't agree with <laughs> The fourth scene, I think we were just out of gas. Oh, we were out of gas. We were out of gas. That would have been the scene where you'd want the three other people in the back line to come out and help. Yeah. You know, well, and they should have, too, because at the second we went to the back line, they would have said, hey, you fucking hogs, quit hogging. Right. And that's what they would have said. Yeah. But, um, but no, I know, yeah. I, and there, I was looking for a blow. Right. I was looking for a blow. Right. And the blow was mediocre at best. But, but um, because uh, chinchillas are a messy, filthy beast. Right. And uh, they, they, I wish I would have initiated more. Like, I'm like, you're a very strong player, and, you know, you're on TV. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to follow him. You know, and, and I wish for me in my improvisation, because that's my Achilles heel, is like, 
I need to initiate more. Well, you know, Mick Napier taught me that. Mick Napier, the annoyer, said, Keegan, get down there, get down there, get down there, get down there, so you, initiate more. And how'd you get over it? Uh, I just I, I just started doing it. I mean, because I used to be, I was a bit of a wallflower. I, 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 I was one of those kind of pesky... Uh, come in third or come in fourth. Where the water's warm. When the water's warm, yeah. and then you go, Puff And right. then you jump back against right. the, you know. And, and there'd be times when other performers would be, would very, very politely backstage say, Hey guys, sometimes can we let two person scenes breathe? I knew they were talking to me. They were right. talking to me. Because don't, 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 don't be a glory hog. Don't jump in. They did all the work. Right. Establishing the, the who, what, and the where, and then you jump in. You can't do that. No. So I just, and, and, if, and if Mick Napier says it, you do it. Right. So, you, you know, Nick said to do it, and so I tried to start doing that. But I think that sometimes um, when I improvise at the Groundlings, holy shit. Well, that's a different style, wow. right? It is chum in the water. What do you mean by that? Oh, my God. You better get out quick. You better get out quick, or you're not going to get a word in edgewise. I, I, I don't like that kind of impact. No, I know. I know. I know. That's it's, not how we were trained. It's not how we were trained. I know. And they were trained a different way. But, boy, I'll tell you, they move at a breakneck speed. And, and sometimes I like it because it... I try to, it, it allow, if you can do a couple scenes up top that move, that move, that move, then you buy that moment. Mm -hmm. You buy that moment where you can do a nice two-person that breathes. But, boy, I'll tell you, the groundlings, man, it's like the suggestion comes and, <laughs> and they're downstairs ready to go. You got you to gotta jump on and hold on for dear life. Right, Chicago and New York were like walking Whoa, in space. Yeah, it's yeah. like, let's move it through and I'm going to yeah. cook this meal for about two yeah. minutes before I say any words. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Is that an oven? Is that an oven? Okay. I'm baking a cake. Okay. I'm going to put the cake in. Oh, that's hot. Why would I not put potholders on there again? Okay. I'm going to take some questions. We've got a lot of fans here from uh, Detroit. Great. Uh, right, we turn the gas off. Um, we got some time for some questions for Keegan. So uh, if you could uh, just turn the lights up so we could see. Uh, and if you've got a question, just uh, put your hand up and... Uh, we have just a couple minutes. We have just a couple minutes. Yeah, the next show is supposed to start five minutes. Oh, dear. My <laughs> God. <laughs> That's why all those new people are here. They're okay. the next show. I'll look how polite there. No questions. No questions. Yes. <laughs> What's your dream project? Uh, my, you know, my dream project would be to do like a... Like, like a, a, a John Cassavetes or like Mike Lee kind of movie, like an improvised movie. I, if, there were, if we could find the right way to do it, that would be the greatest thing. And it would probably, and to be quite honest with you, it would probably be a drama. Like I'd want it to be, I'd love to improvise in a, in a dramatic sphere. That would be fun. That would be with something the focused I'd, message? What's that? With the message in mind? Yeah, that would be even better. I mean, that would be even better, like if it was in a different time period, in a different country, and, and with, with a, you know, like something about, something heavy. You know, like uh, child soldiers or something like that. that would be <laughs> Great, right over here. Oh, yeah. You find voice impersonations very challenging to use more than one character and then blend it in with another character for the same scene? Uh, a voice or impersonation is, is you say changing characters in the scene? Like if you're using an Asian character and then all of a sudden you become Caucasian, you sometimes confuse yourself which one to use. Oh yeah, I've done that before. I've done that where I've been in a scene where you, you, you start to do a scene where there's four characters, there's two people playing four characters. And then you start to get mixed up, <laughs> and yeah, and 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 sometimes that's fun. Sometimes it's like a palate cleanser. It's just like 
do that kind of pattern scene where you screw up. And when you screw up, people are happy. They're endeared to you when you screw up because it's real. They know it's real. Right. And the other thing, too, is I, I found when you screw up a thing, if you just commit to it, people forget about it, don't you think? <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah, they forget about it. They just go, oh, he's just doing that. That's what it is. He's half Chinese, half white. That's right. what that is. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Right here. It's been great, and we got yeah, to meet him. How was that so, meeting him? Meeting him was uh, the greatest single moment of my life. Uh, what did he say? No, no, no. Right. My wedding was the greatest yes. single moment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was, it was great, and, and, and I, 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 it was great. I just want to take another question, because okay. I think there'd be another 25 minutes great. answering that Back question. There. Why do you personally find improv with your because of instant gratification. <laughs> no, really, I mean, I'll be honest. It's, it's because it's happening in the moment, and it's, it's something that you achieve in, in a long storied career. You ask anybody, you ask the greatest, you ask Laurence Olivier. Laurence Olivier did a production of Othello, and one night he came backstage and he started weeping, and tears were coming down his face, and the makeup was coming off his face. And Ralph Richardson or Gilgood, one of them, turned the corner and they played Iago. And they stayed the curtain, they came into his dressing room and they said, That was brilliant, dear boy, why are you weeping? And, and Olivier said, Because I don't know how I did it. Because it was a perfect performance. He was in the moment, every moment, for three hours, but he doesn't know how to repeat it. Edwin, Edwin Forrest was a famous actor in the 19th century in this country. He said, Our art is written in snow. Because our art is ephemeral, it's here in a moment and it's gone. And improv is the purest form of that art. That's why, the comedia, that's why we still do the Commedia dell'arte today. Great. Any more questions? One more. One more. One more. I've got a couple real quick. Okay. Yep, yep. How much time do we have, Joe? Thirty seconds. Um, well, the show is supposed to start in two minutes. So. Okay. Um, None at all. All right. How was it coming back this time? You've come back before. You've got. To, you've met the president. Com- <laughs> Comedy Central. You had. You just had dinner with your mom. How was it coming back this it's time? It's great. It's great. But it. It doesn't matter. It's the same every time. It's sublime. It's paradise every time. It's my home. Detroiters, I think Detroiters love their homes. New Yorkers can say whatever they want. We love our home as, as much as anybody in the world. All right, Jimmy. I think that's question. it. All right. I've got to thank you so much. i got to th- hey, thank you. This was so much fun. And, and, and thank Delta Airlines for f- fucking up <laughs> Mary Beth's flight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, September 26th, Wednesday. September 26th, Wednesday, September 26th, 10.30 Eastern, right after South Park, Key and Peele, 72. I want to thank our guest, Keegan-Michael Key, for a great interview, and it was a pleasure performing with him. I want to remind you that the second season of Key and Peele begins Wednesday, September 26th, on Comedy Central. I'd also like to thank Chris Moody from the uh, Detroit Improv Festival and all the good people who made me feel like a rock star. Uh, And always, my producer, Ben Caprero. For more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and the 2012 Innie Award-winning classes, The Artist Low Comedy, go to jimmycorain.com. You can check out Improv Nerd on Podbean and iTunes and go to our Facebook page and please, please, please like us. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, remember, walk, don't run.
Hello, I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior, happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh, my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P-E in Spanish, <laughs> he spots his dear friend, who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. <laughs> Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. 